That starts next week. I hope that you will plan to bring a friend or four with you. Um, bring all the people in your life that you think are stupid. No, don't do that. The, um, uh, people aren't stupid, but they do stupid things sometimes, and I'm in that category. And uh, this series, we're actually going to be going through the life of Samson. So we're going to be going through some particular passages of Scripture every single week from the book of Judges. And uh, there's a guy that found uh, several different ways to wreck what could have otherwise been an even more extraordinary life. And, uh, and so we want to invite you to invite others. And uh, this is going to be a series unlike any other. It is a Westridge original, and uh, we're going to have a lot of fun, as, as uh, you might imagine. How many of you uh, stay up every once in a while, find yourself watching David Letterman, and you see pe- when people come out to do their stupid human tricks, and you're just sitting there in your bed late at night going, yeah, that's pretty stupid. And, uh, and so, um, it's, uh, but those are a lot of fun, and uh, we're going to have a lot of fun with this series. I don't know, if you have a trick, you should probably let Matt or, or, or Brian or Tony know, um, because we might let you do it. I don't know. I think it'd be fun. And uh, maybe we'll video you just for quality control, but <laughs> we'll do something. Um, so, you know, on Tuesday morning, I was with Pastor Brian, and we were uh, in, uh, not his truck, because his truck was in the shop, but we were in uh, a friend of his truck, and... Um, we're driving along the road, you know, and, and we're on our way to a staff meeting, an, an all-staff meeting uh, at Arbor Place Mall in Douglasville, and we were gathering everybody together for a, uh, a calendar planning, kind of a, a day to get away, and, and just, I don't know why it was the mall, but we were going to the mall, and there's a Chick-fil-A in the food court, so we felt like it was blessed, and, and, uh, and so, you know, we're, we're on our way there, and, and I get a call in the truck, um, and uh, it's my wife, and uh, she called about... I don't know, about 10 minutes to 9, and, and uh, I, I looked, and, and I thought, well, this is unusual because she's, she's still at home, and she's supposed to already be at work, and, and I thought this was a little weird, so she, I, I answered the phone, and I don't know if you ever do this to your spouse, to your spouse, I don't know if you ever just kind of start the conversation, and uh, so I didn't even say, hi, honey, good morning, how are you? I just picked up the phone and said, what are you still doing at home? And, and she said, you won't believe this, she said, I'm watching Good Morning America, and some idiot has just flown his plane into one of the buildings in New York. And, and I'm listening and I'm going, really? Now, I've heard of this happening before. It actually happened quite a few times uh, earlier in the century. As soon as Empire State was built, people started just plowing right into the thing. And so, uh, you know, in a, in a large city, I'm picturing, because I haven't watched TV that day, I'm, I'm picturing a cloudy morning in New York. I, I'm, I'm picturing low clouds and, and somebody trying to get their pilot's license uh, just pinballing around uh, the buildings in New York. And she said, it's on every channel. You will not believe the smoke that's coming out of this building. Now, I, I don't know uh, what your experience was like, but I've heard that story over and over and over again to where at least initially on September 11, 2001, that Tuesday morning, it was like everybody thought th- th- this was just some mistake. And it's like nobody saw that first enormous plane. And Brian and I are, are both information junkies, and, and so we, we turned on the radio, and it was already on talk radio, and we're listening, and, and, and the news is going, yeah, you know, some unusual events this morning in New York, and, and uh, it appears as though someone has flown their plane into uh, one of the World Trade Buildings. Um, I would not have known those buildings if I hadn't just been in New York on, in May of 2001. I was visiting a church called Brooklyn Tabernacle, and I was kind of touring New York, and I went up to Empire State, and, and I'm walking around the top, and I went, oh, wait, th- those two buildings are taller than this one. I didn't think that was supposed to happen. I mean, this one has the name Empire. It should be bigger. 
And, but I'm looking, going, what are those two buildings? And that was the first time I had been introduced to World Trade. And, and, and so we're, we're listening to the radio, and this guy is in lower Manhattan talking to a reporter, and he's got this thing in his voice that just sounds like... The, he, he's more panicked than what my wife was. Because he's starting to talk about a plane, and, and, and he's seemingly describing something larger. And, and as he's talking... I will never forget the panic in his voice as, as he begins to exclaim, here comes another one. There's another plane. It's coming now. And then he began to shout and scream. It was an unbelievable live moment. At that point, Brian and I were in the parking lot of Arbor Place Mall, and he's in his friend's truck, and, and we're in his friend's truck, and he has just, he's now just floored the truck because he sees where some of our other staff members have gotten out, and none of them know what's going on. So we, go, he, we run, get to the parking space as quickly as we can. I'm not even sure if we parked all the way. And Brian gets out, and he says, everybody, get inside. I mean, there was the, did, you, did you feel that? Did you feel like, I, I just need to get in somewhere? Are we next? Is this, I mean, is this mall a target next? I mean, this is just the strangest feeling of fear I've, I've ever felt. And we start running through the mall, and nothing's open, and there's nobody in there except for Chick-fil-A and the senior citizens that are walking laps. And, you know, that's kind of an interesting mall thing. That's another story. And we start running around, and we, we run for the radio shack, and the radio shack is still closed, and, and there's nobody there. And so... There's this big jumbotron in the food court, but nobody's there to turn it on yet. And, and so we're running around, and there's a, there's a Hampton Inn across the parking lot. And we got everybody together, and it was only about, this was in 2001, the church started in 97. So there's, there's only about 10 or 12 or so of us on staff, full-time and part-time. And we gathered around this, this Hampton Inn, and the, the uh, attendant in the lobby is asking us, what are you doing, what are you doing? We turned on the TV, and, and they saw it, and we saw it, and we were just there. For the next three or four hours, gathered around the TV watching what was happening. What's going on in your mind? What's going on in your day? I know for some of you, thinking about that day and looking back, and, and I've heard people all week long just reaccount where they were and they begin to well up in tears. And, and it wasn't that you were there or that you had any family there, but you were just connected to this. I quietly grew very concerned because CBS News reported that the Capitol building had been hit. Uh, obviously, it, it had not been. They were also reporting that the Treasury building had been hit. And, and uh, a, a reporter on the ground, basically a rumor got out of hand when they started evacuating the Capitol. Well, I got very concerned because my dad uh, has a beautiful corner office that looks right at the Capitol building. He's about two blocks away and nobody can get a hold of him. And I would find out later on that day that my dad was actually on, I think it's 295 that runs right by the Pentagon, and he's in his vehicle that morning, and he's driving along, and he literally ducked because he heard the plane go right over him and land in the Pentagon behind him that he had just passed. And that whole day, as he lives and moves inside, in, in and out of Washington, D.C., and we couldn't get a hold of him until later that night, I went that that whole day thinking my dad is missing and, and knowing that he argues for appropriations at different times. I thought maybe he could have been in the Capitol building. Was it hit? Was it not? It was just this horrible, horrible moment. What a thing. 
What, what, what do you go back to in that day? And, and what do you think about it? I mean, on a day like this, many people say, you know, I, I wish things could be like they were before. Because, you know, before September 11th, we, we didn't think we could be attacked here. And, and our country felt a lot safer. And I wouldn't have even thought twice about getting on an airplane or, or going to a football game or going to a basketball game. I wouldn't have had any concerns. And people wouldn't be checking my bag every time I even try to walk into some high school football games and seeing what I brought in. And I'm just trying to sneak in some candy for crying out loud. And they're just, they're going through all my stuff. And I just wish we could get back to that. And it's an interesting thing that happens with these memories, isn't it? I mean, it connects our emotions. It takes us back to, a, to, to places that we would sometimes want to go to. And, and sometimes we really, as a matter of fact, we don't want to go to. But in days like this, we just have to. And not just moments like September 11th. I mean, I don't know what the the other turning point moments are in your life. I don't know about the other moments where perhaps the phone rang and you found out about a family member with cancer. I don't know about the moment when your your boss called you down into his office and he said, I know this may seem a little bit sudden, but we're going to have to let you go. I don't know about the other things, maybe the, the principal called from the school and your kid has been hurt on the playground and, and, or whatever it is. And all of these things, that these memories that emotions are tied to, they seem to have this, a particular impact on us, don't they? There are, there are moments of accomplishment. There are moments of, of, of great love and romance in our lives. There are also moments of, of tragedy, but there's, there's great moments of, of success. And in these moments, we return back to these memories, and sometimes we ask ourselves the question, can I, can I just go back? I mean, life doesn't look like what, what I thought it would. Can I, can I just return to that place before that moment? Or can I just return to that happier time in my life? You know, the journey through the Old Testament with the nation of Israel is one of really high highs and really low lows. One moment God is parting the Red Sea and descending down on a mountain to speak with them. The next moment these people are worshiping a golden cow. One moment there's a shepherd boy coming to see his brothers who are serving in the army and he ends up killing a giant with a sling and a stone because nobody else was man enough to do it. Just a few pages later he becomes king. And a few pages after that he's found sleeping with a a woman who's not his wife and sending her husband off to be killed. Back and forth life's journey goes, doesn't it? From really high highs to really low lows. Scriptures read just like that. And as we get to the prophets in the latter half of the Old Testament, we are finding a group of people who are often trying to remind a disobedient nation to return back to the way they used to love their God, to the way they used to have faith in Him, to the way they used to believe in Him. And that's the way that He wants it to be. And in the latter half of the Old Testament, we find the prophet Hosea is one of those prophets. He spends a portion of his message using very strong language with the the people in the book of Hosea. He even says to the people in the first five chapters of Hosea, he basically says that the nation of Israel is whoring themselves out Instead of loving God, they're loving others, loving sinful things in a way that cheapens the love of God. They find themselves in captivity in the middle of the most difficult circumstances. And the prophet comes with a message in the middle of tragedy. But before we get to the prophet's message, I want you to just in your mind this morning, I don't know where you're at, what you've come in here with this morning, but... 
I, I wonder what your life circumstances are like today. I wonder how difficult maybe it is for some of you today. Maybe this day of memory is difficult for different reasons, but, but maybe actually in your day-to-day life right now, maybe you're dealing with your own tragedy. Maybe the foundations of your life are, are crumbling. Maybe you're experiencing tremendous financial difficulty today. Maybe you're just in the middle of a relational challenge with a coworker or a friend. Or For some of you, maybe your, your marriage is struggling today in a way that it never has. And you're thinking things you've never thought before because you thought you guys would always be together. But now there have been moments where you're going, I'm just not sure we're going to get through this. Maybe right now you are far from God like the nation of Israel is in this passage that we're about to read because of your own choices. Maybe you're engaging in things right now that whether you know the scriptures or not, your gut is just telling you this is not the right choice. So what do the scriptures say when we find ourselves in the middle of the most difficult circumstances? Hosea chapter 6 says this. Come, Let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. Now what captured your attention in the beginning of this passage? This passage is known to be one of the great passages of hope in the history of Israel and all of the Old Testament. And if you're like me, it starts out with the words, he has torn us to pieces. Really? That doesn't sound right to me. I mean, he would go on to say, he, he has injured us. Seriously. This is the God that we're looking at. But what does the prophet say? It's important to see the order that he puts things in. Because yes, he says, he has torn us to pieces. But he also says, but he will heal us. You see, the intent here is that God has allowed things to happen. He has allowed us to make the choices that we've made. He's allowed the nation of Israel to make the choices that they have made for the purpose of healing Why do bad things happen? Why does God allow us to make choices that are destructive or allow us to find ourselves in moments of chaos where planes are flying into buildings and buildings are falling down? Why does he allow it? God in his infinite wisdom can take all of these things and allow them and cause them to bring about healing. They are part of the path to healing. And the prophet Hosea says this, he would go on to say, after two days, he will revive us, the third day restore us. Now listen, these are not necessarily literal days. But in scripture, it's imagery. The third day is imagery that begins back in the book of Genesis. Did you know that in the Old Testament, When Abraham is called to sacrifice his son Isaac, 
Did you know that it was three days later that he was laying him on the altar only to have the angel to say stop and then he was risen back up again? It was on the third day. Joseph, who found himself being sold in in slavery to Egypt in a moment at the end of his story, his brothers have been put in jail and you know what day they got out on? The third day. Did you know that throughout the journey in the wilderness for the nation of Israel at different times, Moses and Joshua are told to tell the people to set yourselves apart, to consecrate yourselves because in just a couple of days, God is going to do something amazing and it's always on the third day. Jonah finds himself in the belly of a whale, doesn't he? Only to be spit back up, not the first day, not the second day, but on the third day. King Hezekiah is gravely ill in the Old Testament. And he prays and he asks God for healing. And when he prays, guess what day he's healed on? The third day. And then the Son of God, come to seek and to save that which was lost, laid his own life down on a cross. And for us and for everyone that has ever walked the planet, he is resurrected again on the third day. This imagery has been going on. Come on, sister, appreciate that. Hey, this imagery has been going on since Genesis. There is always tragedy, but there is always triumph. There is always suffering, but it is always on the path to resurrection. And I'm here to tell you this morning that no matter what circumstances you find yourselves in, no matter what questions you have for God, you are on your way to resurrection. I don't know if you are on your first day yet. I don't know if you are on your second day yet, but I can tell you with the prophet that as sure as the sun rises, the third day is coming for all those who have put their faith and trust and their hope in Jesus Christ. The scriptures bear it out. So the prophet says, let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us acknowledge the Lord on days like today. In the middle of our most difficult circumstances, he says, acknowledge the Lord. Tell others to acknowledge the Lord. Don't just tell people in the church, but tell people who are far from God to acknowledge the Lord. When people come to you and they are questioning their life circumstances, when they're hurting, when they're grieving, bring them to the truth that God loves them and there's nothing they can do to make him love them less. I don't know what you've got going on this morning. Maybe you've chosen it. Maybe you didn't mean to choose it. Maybe the the tragedy, the difficulty in your life is something that you hurled yourself into. There's nothing you can do to make him love you less. And all of us need to hear and read and understand these words and allow them to sink in and to give us hope. Hope is what we're missing, isn't it? When I find myself in the bush of West Africa in Burkina Faso, you know what people are missing? Missing hope. Because they don't know where their next meal is coming from. Everywhere that I go where I see poverty, whether it's whether it is someone who is physically poor or spiritually poor, the primary thing that they're being robbed of is hope. 
So what is it exactly? Well, hope is to expect something with confidence, to anticipate that something good is going to happen. But it's interesting, this word hope in the scriptures, it's never static. It's never static. The word in language is always dynamic. You see, to have hope is to have something alive inside of you. It's not idle. It's not something you just sit on the front porch with your glass of sweet tea and think about. But hope is something that is churning within you and spurring you on. So when you live without hope, what do you have? You have just wishful thinking, don't you? Just something passive. And that's the state that so many people find themselves in. I just wish it could be different. I just wish things weren't going like this. But God gives us more than wishful thinking. He gives us hope. But why have so many people lost hope? And a lot of people lost hope on September 11th. But beyond the events of that day, there are many of us in our own personal circumstances today find ourselves without hope. Why do people give up? Well, I would say because they are trying to find their hope in all of the wrong places. And King Solomon in the Old Testament, he knew something about this. Here's the wealthiest man that's ever lived. He had everything that you could possibly want at his disposal. In the book of Ecclesiastes, he starts out and he says, everything is vanity or everything is meaningless. And he just throws it out there the wealthiest man who's ever lived, had everything anybody could ever want. He just says, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And then he begins to list out these areas where he tries to find hope. And maybe some of you can identify with these. The first thing that he says, I tried to find it in knowledge. Ecclesiastes chapter one, verse 18 says, for with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Now, this is not the kids drop out of school message, just so you know, okay? (laughs) Stay in school. But what Solomon is saying is, is, is listen, and and some of you, you know people like this. Maybe you're someone like this. You, You come to the scriptures. Maybe you come to church really critical. Maybe you feel like you know the Bible more than anybody else that's sitting in here this morning. And, and maybe you feel like, you know, I'm smart enough. I know science. I know history. I know things better than most of all these Christians that just keep waving their Bible around and they don't really even know that book very well. And, and so, I'm, you know, I'm coming in here and I know more than anybody else. And what we all know about you, because we've all met you, cynical guy, antagonist, we've all met you. You are absolutely miserable. I mean, just trying to figure things out on your own, apart from God. Knowledge apart from God makes people absolutely miserable. Solomon uses the word grief. The other thing he tries are pleasure and poor choices. Chapter two, verses one and three says, Solomon says, I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. I tried cheering myself with wine and and embracing folly. Solomon says, listen, I can have any wine I want. I'm the wealthiest man on the planet. I just send people out, I get whatever I want. And and why stop with one glass after dinner? I'm just gonna have the whole bottle because I can get another one. And, And he just says, listen, I just tried going on and on. Solomon basically is admitting to moments in his life where he is absolutely out of his mind drunk. And embracing folly. Solomon was the party guy, and he's the wealthiest man that's ever lived. So he not only knows where to get a joint, but he just grows the acreage. He's got the acreage to just grow all the stuff right in the backyard. There's all the weed you want. Come and get it. You know, I mean, if he were alive today, that's Solomon. He's the party guy. 
He can do it all. He's got, he's got everything he wants. And he's saying that because I'm that guy, I'm going ahead and taking advantage of it. I'm throwing myself. I am all in. And he says, you know what? That doesn't work either. No thing that Solomon talks about or just, he says he, he went after material things. Just buying all he could. He said, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards. I, I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I, I made reservoirs of water to, 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 to water, groves of flourishing trees. Listen, he said, listen, I, I had everything I want, the means to get it and the means to, to make it sustainable. I mean, you know what? I mean, I not only had the, the lake house, but I, I got the boat. And I didn't get the little boat. I got the big boat. And, and I didn't get one wave runner. I got five. And, and I actually, you know, I got a whole fleet back here. And, and I'm trying all this. And, but all of this apart from God is making him absolutely miserable. He said, you know, I tried, to get, I tried to gain power. I tried to climb the ladder of success. He says, I bought male and female slaves. And I had other slaves who were born in my house. I, I also owned more herds and flocks than, than anyone in Jerusalem. He said, I'm the most powerful guy here. And instead of leveraging his influence for the kingdom of God, there's nothing wrong with leadership. It's a gift. But instead of leveraging his leadership for the kingdom of God, he wasted it. He wasted it. He would go on to say, you know what? I also got myself quite a bit of financial security. We know this from Solomon's life. He says, I amassed silver and gold for myself, the treasures of kings and provinces. And just apart from God, was never going to be enough. The Apostle Paul talks about this one in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So what happens to Solomon when he loses hope? He addresses this specifically. He says, So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Richest man on the planet. says, I've tried it all. I hate it. I've tried it all and I've got, I'm filled with despair. He doesn't have something alive churning inside of him, waiting to get out and, and ready to be active and ready to make a difference in the world. Rather, he's got everything he could possibly want and he's absolutely miserable. It's interesting what happens to us when we lose hope, isn't it? Solomon would say it this way. He says, we become negative towards life and towards others. We, we shut ourselves off from others. We stop trusting God. We become fearful. And a lot of you find yourself in the middle of circumstances this morning where you're absolutely afraid, terrified. You you don't know how you're going to get out of what you're in. So where can we find hope when life seems hopeless? We've got to be able to find it and give it to others. The Apostle Paul gives us clearly in the book of Romans chapter 15 what the source of hope is. He says this. He says, so I pray that God who gives you Hope will keep you happy and full of peace as you believe in him. And then he says, may you overflow with hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know what your circumstances are today. 
I don't know if there's tragedy in your life. I don't know if buildings are crumbling in your life. I don't know what it looks like today. I don't know if your marriage is crumbling, your finances are crumbling. I don't know if you're with a job, without a job, whatever it might be today. But I can tell you, none of those things will sustain you. None of those things will bring you the happiness that you want. None of those things will bring you the joy, the life that you want. The only thing that will give you that is the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. The hope that comes from God himself. He is the source of hope. He is the only place to find it. And every single one of us need to be going to that well and dipping in it every single day. We are to walk around as a people who have hope and who are overflowing with hope because the rest of the world needs it. The rest of the world needs hope today. The Bulldog fans need hope today, people. I'm telling you. Listen, we are to overflow with hope. The rest of the world is looking at us and saying, listen, if your God is so big, so strong and so mighty, then why are you so miserable? If you're so sure of what's going to happen to you when you die, then why are you walking around with a long face today and your shoulders slumped? Why are you working so hard to get all of these other things when you've got hope at your disposal? We are to overflow with hope. I'm not saying we're supposed to skip around like the lollipop guild. I'm just saying we are supposed to have something different churning inside of us that everybody else sees and it comes from God. It's not made up. It's not false. It's not something we have to get all giddy about in a concert or or hear the right message or anything else. It's something that should be alive inside of us and coming out all of the time. That's the hope that God gives. And it only comes from him. The psalmist says in Psalm chapter 62, verse 5, I I wanted to throw a couple extra ones in this morning because I feel like God may give these to somebody. Maybe you need them. Psalm 62, verse 5 says this, yes, my soul, Find rest in God. My hope comes from Him. I know some of you this morning are so tired of life. I know you're worn out. I know you come to church going, please, please give me something. And listen, I'm not that good, but God is. And I want you to know that no matter how worn out you are, no matter how spent you are, no matter how rough things are going, you can find hope in Him. May your soul find rest in Him today. Psalm chapter 71 Verse 5 says this, For you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. Some of you this morning, as we talk about remembering, some of you need to remember back to a place where you knew that you knew that you knew that God was for you and nothing could ever stop you. And this morning, just as you have remembered the events of September 11th and perhaps shed a tear, perhaps remembered where you were that day, perhaps it's caused a little bit of fear in you, perhaps it's caused a little bit of longing, whatever it is, some of you need to remember back to a place where you were fired up and you need to get there again. Because the rest of the world is waiting on hope to flow out of us a confidence, an expectation that God will save the day and all will say, my glorious. That's what this is about. We are supposed to constantly be giving away hope. Hope is not for you to keep to yourself. Hope is for you to give to others. Hope is for you to get out into your neighborhood, to get into your your workplace, to get into your school and say, listen, I've got something for you and to have confidence that they need it and that they will accept it as long as you keep giving it out the right way. 
We are to overflow with hope. Our God is not a God of fear. He is not a God who is unfair. Our God is a God of healing, of resurrection, and hope. Our God is a God of hope. On September 11, 2001, a woman named Janelle was working on the 64th floor of one of the towers. She worked for the Port Authority. And as the plane struck the building and they began to evacuate, she, along with thousands and thousands of others, began to descend the stairs of one of the World Trade Towers. Janelle, she continued on down. She tells the story of lights flickering, of all kinds of things going wrong that day. But more importantly, she tells the story of that when she got down to the 13th floor, the building literally came down around her. And she found herself lying in a pile of rubble with her right arm pinned behind her to the point that she couldn't move it because of everything else that was on top of her. Her legs were crushed by a steel beam. She could barely breathe from all the dust and all the debris that was all around her filling her lungs. The only thing that she could do was lift up her left arm. And she lifted it up and, and as the smoke swirled around that day and at times it was completely dark and at times there would be light, an hour went by, two hours went by, five hours went by, 10, 15, 20 hours went by and she is pinned down believing that she's going to die she was she knew a few things about god she'd been to church and she said god if you'll save me i'll be different god if you'll get me out of these circumstances i'll be changed she held on to hope there was something churning inside of her that believed if she reached out to god that he would be able to save her. Hour 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26. In the 27th hour, she lifted up her arm to that little hole that she could see and the only way that she could get it out. And she said, Jesus, save me. She put her hope in the only one that could. Jesus, save me. And a man named Paul reached down and grabbed her by the hand. Probably a very handsome man. (laughs) And he said, I've got you. We're going to get you out. The 27th hour, the last survivor was pulled out of the World Trade Center. Her name was Janelle. 
she met many of the firemen and service people who removed all that debris and all that rubble to pull her out. She never met Paul. She believes God sent an angel when nobody else could find her to reach down and to rescue her in the middle of her circumstances. I don't know how you feel about that, but if there are angels, I've always assumed their names were Paul, and so this makes a lot of sense to me. I don't know how rough it is for you today, but I can promise you this. Whether you're on the first day or the second day, there's a third day coming. Whether you are on the 10th hour or the 20th hour, hour 27 is coming. If you will put your hope in the only one who can rescue you, eventually, in his time, he will do it. No matter how rough it is today, I want you to know you can have hope. And I want you to overflow with hope today. Would you pray with me? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Today, God is able. God is able to deliver you. He is able to rescue you from the most dire of circumstances. He's able to rescue marriages. He's able to rescue finances. Listen, I, I, I know it, it may not be today, okay? I can't, I can't say that I've got some magic prayer and that everything is going to be all right. You know, the scriptures say there's going to be suffering. But the scriptures also say there's going to be resurrection. And so today, if you will with faith abide in him, if you will put your hope in him, no matter what is going on in your life, you will have something churning inside of you that will cause others to look to you and say, you know what, that person's got something more real and more authentic than I thought was ever possible. Today, if your marriage is struggling, husbands and wives may need to grab arms together and both reach out to Jesus the only one that can save you in these circumstances. If you're struggling with a hurt, a habit, some type of hang-up, some type of addiction that you wrestle with every single day, you've come to church this morning ashamed of how much you had to drink last night. Maybe you come to church this morning ashamed of the last thing that your computer screen had on it. Whatever it is, I want you to know that God has not given up on you. He wants to extend his hope to you as well. And he wants to rescue you even from your own choices today. No matter what it is. In this moment, I just want to allow the Spirit of God to move through this place in a way that I think only he can. I don't know what each heart needs. I don't know what each circumstance needs today. But this morning right there in your chair, I want you to cry out to Jesus. And acknowledge that he is able to rescue you from wherever you are. Every Sunday at Westridge Church, it's important to us to make available the opportunity for someone to reach out to Jesus for the very first time. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I want to invite you today to reach out to the one that you can hope in for eternity. God sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross to remove your sins. And he has resurrected for you so that you can resurrect one day and be with him. Today, if you want to put your faith and trust in him, would you just pray in this moment in your own words, God, 
put my hope in you. I put my faith and trust in you as the forgiver of sins, as the cleanser of everything I've ever done wrong. And I believe that I can live with you forevermore. If you want to begin your walk with Jesus today, would you visit our help center in the lobby? I know it sounds strange with kind of the biggest decision of your life maybe to send you to a table, but I want you to get started right. I want you to go there and be able to pray with somebody and have them help you get started right. For the rest of us today, I just want to pray, and then I've asked Matt to sing a chorus, and then I'm coming right back in just a moment. Don't leave. And this chorus, I believe, is God's message to us not to put our hope in anything else, but only in him. God, would you minister to us today? Would you meet us where we are? We believe that you are able. You are able to deliver. You are able to save. And you alone. Lord, we worship you with that now.